0: The self-sufficiency of God. Many theologians, they place this attribute as the first of God's attributes in the list of um, their systematic theologies. Many well-renowned Bible teachers, they categorize the self-sufficiency of God as the central of all other essential attributes. Herman Bevinck, The Dutch Reformed theologian, he said, all other attributes were derived from this one, whether the love of God, the grace of God, the immutability of God, the mercy of God, they all flow out of his self-sufficiency and they spill out of God into his creation. There are other terms that are used synonymously with this um, attribute, self-sufficiency of God. We have the self-existence of God, how that God is self-sustaining. He's perfectly independent, or as many know it to be, the aseity of God. However, I believe that the best term Um, that is referred to in, in, in the scripture is El Shaddai. It's been referenced seven times in the scripture. Now the word El Shaddai is a compound word made up of two separate words. You have the word Shaddai, which means sufficiency, sustenance, nourishment. And you also have the word El, which means God. And you put them together, it means that God completely... Freely nourishing, satisfying, and supplying His people with all their needs. God, in His existence, in His plans, in His good pleasure, He doesn't depend on anyone or anything outside of Himself. God alone is self-sufficient in everything. In His mind, in His counsel, in His love. In his core essence, God does not rely on anything outside of himself to be content or to be happy. So, as we dare to, to approach this unapproachable holiness and speak of this burning majesty of this attribute of our Almighty God, let us draw near with reverence. Let us tread carefully this holy ground of the self-sufficiency of our God. After all, it is God who created us out of nothing. And with one word, he's able to melt the same universe that he created and bring it back into nothingness. Let us approach this subject with humility, with complete submission, with our faces, to the dust, as this attribute is one of the most humbling attributes. In fact, it is so humbling that the outline of this presentation will be in a form of a prayer. When we say that God is self-sufficient, what we're praying is that we're, we're praying this, we're saying, God, You are not in need of us. And very few prayers reach this level of humility to acknowledge the reality that when it it comes to God's essence, we're really not that important. No. He is of absolute importance to all of His creation. God is not in need of us. Job 22, verse 2 says, Can a vigorous, that is, strong man be of use to God? Or a wise man be useful to Him? And both of these statements are rhetorical questions. Surely the answer is it's obvious that God doesn't need our help. One of the hardest things to admit is that God does not need us to meet His unfulfilled needs, if you like, as if he has any. That God doesn't need us to defend him, to elevate him. The word need is not found in God's dictionary. Psalm 50, 9-12 says this. I shall take no young bull out of your house, nor male goats out of your folds, For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird of the mountains and every thing that moves in the field is mine. Verse 12. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. Why? For the world is mine and all it contains. What this is saying is that God, again, has no need of us. When God gives us anything, it's not that He gives us so that somehow we can help Him to fix something in Him that needs fixing. He's not dependent on us. If He was, we would have been worshipping an imperfect God. Jeremiah ten three to 7 Let us have a look at this passage and as we As God compares himself to all other false gods, to all of our idols, let's see and read together. In verse 3 it says, For the customs of the peoples are delusion, because it is wood cut from the forest. The work of the hands of a craftsman with a cutting tool. They decorate it with silver and with gold. They fasten it with nails and with hammers so that it will not totter. Like a scarecrow in a cucumber field are they and they cannot speak. They must be carried because they cannot walk. Do not fear them for they can do no harm nor can they do any good. The Lord here What he's doing is that he's mocking the worship of false gods. Why? Because those false gods are so dependent on the worshippers. All other man-made gods need man's help, but Yahweh does not. The idol is dependent on man. Just like all kinds of idols that we get tempted to worship, like work or spouse or house or health, they're all dependent on man. Please note three parts of this passage that we just read. To make an idol, you must be skillful. The idol needs you to know what wood to use, otherwise it will rot. Then you discover that your God is not that glorious. He's ugly because you just cut him out of wood. And your God needs you to somehow beautify him. And because he can't move with you, you have to carry your God with you wherever you please. All other gods are needy. You are the one who saves the God from the flaming destruction in which the worshippers meet God's needs. But then look at verses 6 and 7. It says, There is none like you, O Lord. You are great, and great is your might. You would not fear you. Who would not fear you? Sorry? O king of the nations. Indeed, it is your due, for among all the wise men of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is none like you. So not so with our God. God is not in need of us. John 5:26. says, for just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. God possesses life. He is the source of life. Nobody gives God life. Not only that. But it also means that he's a creator and a sustainer of all kinds of life. He gives physical as well as spiritual life. All life is from God in heaven or on earth. And what is this life? Quality life. It is perfect life, complete and joyful life. God is unfathomable ocean of sweet, quality, life. He's not dependent on anyone to live this kind of life. No, He gives this kind of life. This is why in Psalm 16 verse 11 it says, In your presence is the fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. If all people were numb, to the joy of the lord it would not affect the sufficiency of god's happiness 1b no more than if if all men were blind that that would affect the shining of the blazing radiance of the sun no god does not get affected by us hear this humble truth to believe in god To surrender your life to Him, it would not add anything to His inner glory. And it is equally true to deny God, to reject Him, to even shake your fist against God will not take away anything from His perfection. Psalm 90 verse 2 says, Before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. This means that before God's angels sang the first song, before the first wind blown across the planet, way before the first beam of light has touched the earth, God has had being absolutely satisfied and happy in himself. Forever El Shaddai will be self-sufficient. Had he needed human before eternity, he would have created us before eternity. But he did not. And that's the kind of God that we worship. You know, um, there is a misconception and many Christians have this Terrible idea about God. They say that God's love for the lost has got him in a big puddle. And he kind of can't get himself out of the mess that he created. He lacks planning. He lacks um, power. His knowledge is limited. He needs help. And we kind of feel sorry for God and we somehow need to, to help him. We need to kind of give him a hand and get him out of that mess that he got himself into. It's almost like in the people's minds they say, I feel sorry for God. I mean, look at his son. His son bled and died and now he needs me to go into the mission field or he needs me to be a Sunday school teacher or a minister somewhere and serve in some area. No, God does not need us. God, who is self sufficient in his strength, does not need us. He doesn't need any of his people's help. God can speak a word. And even if all the population of all the nations were atheists. And if God had only one prophet and he just happened to be the most disobedient prophet of them all, the self-sufficient God would speak a word and he would Cause the greatest revival you would have ever heard of. We have people that say, "Ah, oh, um, if some Hollywood character believe, if Joe Biden somehow believes in God, or someone from uh, Harvard University." just comes to Christ, God will be a very happy God because, you know, uh, He can advance His plan. And, and you can add to this all kind of resources that we have. Oh, uh, it, it, God needs our money or God needs our strength in order to advance His kingdom. Let us come to this humble truth once again. God does not need our talent, gift, status, office, money. No, he can work with the least of the least and still accomplish all of his plans that he intended before the foundation of the world. That's what the Bible says about God when it says that he is self-sufficient. There are many heroes of theology and evangelistic warriors that that believe somehow that they are the cream on the top of the cake. And from time to time, they will kind of like to flex their spiritual muscles and say, oh, I've got to reach out. Why? God needs me to evangelize. God is self-sufficient. He's able to raise anybody He chooses to, to preach the gospel if He would choose to. He's able to save anyone that He wants to save whom he wills to save. Isaiah 40, 17 and 18, it says in this passage, it will be the last nail that that we want to hammer uh, to bring it home, that God does not need us. Now, why is it that God doesn't need us? Well, in this passage, it says, all the nations are as nothing before him, They are regarded by Him as less than nothing and meaningless. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare with Him? Again, many people think that God is like us. You know, we need a shelter, we need need, um, a house, we need people Uh, To look after us because somehow we have unfulfilled needs. But God is not like us. He's never felt lonely. The self-sufficient God, it means that the Father has forever been content with the Son. And the Son has always been ecstatic about the Father. So why is it that God doesn't need us? Because God's greatest pleasure is in himself. Would to God that he would teach our hearts this truth. God, you are not in need of us. That's number one. Number two, we are in absolute need of your sufficiency that's the second point we are in absolute need of god's sufficiency if i would ask you what is the meaning of life what would you say so many philosophers have dedicated all their lives to come up with an answer to this question if, if I would ask you, what do you think the purpose of creation, fall, the fallenness of man and redemption, in just one sentence, if we could just give one single meaningful sentence for our existence, I believe it would be this. When we have God, we have everything. Everything. C.S. Lewis said, He who has God and everything else has no more than he who has God only. This is the purpose for which God has chosen the elect, saved the elect, and is the very core of sanctifying the elect, that is, to be convinced that he is all we need. If we read, Revelation 22 verse 17, it says, The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. This last command in the last chapter of the last book in the Bible shows that there is an ocean of sufficiency in God for all of us to quench our cravings and our thirst. And with that being said, yet sadly, no other glorious attribute of God that is severely under attack than the self-sufficiency of God. God has a monopoly over this attribute. Before creation, God already put a patent on it and He won't share it with any of His creatures. He only chose to pour it into their hearts so that they would enjoy it and proclaim it. But rather than that, what do people do? Rather than embracing this truth, and be a mirror to reflect that God alone is sufficient for all things, rather than being a loudspeaker projecting to the world that God does indeed satisfy. Man, foolishly, in his wicked mind, wants to climb up that throne of the Holy One. He wants to rob the crown of the sufficiency of God. And man is so delusioned to think that he's actually wearing it. Even, even from a young age, man thrives to be self-sufficient. I recall when uh, my son, my oldest son, uh, was uh, four years old. And um, for the life of him, no matter how many times he tried to tie his shoelace, uh, he just couldn't. And um, I remember many times I would come down and try to uh, come to tie his shoelace. He would push my hand back and he would say, I'd do it, Daddy, I'd do it, I'd do it, Daddy. Or I recall also um, another of my children, uh, one of my boys, uh, when he was uh, two years old, and we were at a, a swimming pool And um, he wanted to jump in the water. Now, again, he didn't have a chance to learn how to swim. He doesn't know how to swim. And then he wants to jump in the water and wants to swim to me. Of course, as soon as he jumps in the water, he swims like a fish. How did a fish swim under the water? Doesn't float over the water. And he just sinks in. But he would never want me to go and hold him and carry him. So what do I have to do? I'll have to move about three steps away. Teach him that he cannot swim on his own so that I can pick him up and then tell him, look, you can't swim. You need help. You need daddy to help you. Now, this is obviously absurd and it can make us laugh. But why is it that it would make us laugh? Because there is, there is truth in this. Everybody knows that this sin, as foolish as it may be, this self autonomous to live independent life almost as though that we are self sufficient is in everyone everybody wants to be self sufficient the absurdity is that we depend on god for every breath every pulse every sensation and yet while Every muscle fiber of ours is crying for dependence upon our God. Yet we declare that we can live on our own. And yet again, there are others that don't believe that God alone is self-sufficient for all things. And so what do they say? They say this, they say, surely I need my spouse to love me and respect me. I can't live without that. God is, God is not enough. Surely I need to get more cash, better business to be happy. And in our sinful mind, what we don't realize is that we bite the very hand that feeds us and gives us life and sustenance. Brothers, our problem is not that our spouses are disrespectful or unloving. Our problem is not our children are are unruly or that we have financial calamity. Our biggest problem is that we're not resting in the fact that God is all we need. So we work longer hours. Why? Because we're motivated by wanting to claim self-autonomy. Self sufficiency, and we call that that oh no, I'm just working harder, I'm just saving for the future. Sure, save for the future, but why would we compromise our lives and deprive our family from um, seeing us and being with us so that we would work harder and harder? No, we need to come back and be honest, brothers and sisters. We, we think it's easier to look. Other people to silver and gold to relieve our emptiness. In fact, and when we find that we get some respect from people, we might even feel that we have filled our infinite craving. And sadly, this feeling deceives us, it affirms our sinful idea that, that people might be the answer to our need for satisfaction. So what do we do? We chase after them with much passion. I want to tell you that any and all kinds of cravings for true sufficiency can only be met in a living God through Jesus Christ. None of us is designed to be self-sufficient. Only God and God alone is self-sufficient. We see in this passage how God not only is he self-sufficient, but he loves to pour this out into his creation, and yet creation rejects it. We read in Jeremiah 2, 12 and 13, it says, Be appalled, O heavens, at this, and shudder. Be very desolate, declares the Lord. Why? For my people have committed to evils, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, to who for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. What does it mean that God is the fountain of living waters? It means that he offers constant nourishment, refreshing He gives life and He gives it freely. He gives freely and constantly nourishment and life to all His creatures. And this is is why in verse 12, read it again, it says, Be appalled, O heavens, at this, and shudder. Be very desolate, declares the Lord, meaning tremble. The angels of heavens, their stomachs are turned. They feel so sick to the point that they feel like they were going to vomit. Why does God use such strong language like this? It's The greatest insult is for the self-sufficient God to offer himself to wicked people. And yet they say, no thanks. And God says, this is out. It's like you slapped me in the face and his blood boils when we do that. For any man to reject God as his only satisfier of his soul, it's as as absurd as a 14-year-old teenager who's fully still dependent upon his father's provision for food daily and for his mother to wash his clothes so much that he doesn't even know how to turn on the the washing machine. And yet in his arrogance and while he's still entirely dependent upon his parents, he would say to them, Dad, Mom, since I have food in the kitchen and clean clothes in the closet, I don't need you. How absurd. Think of it. If his dad went broke, if his mom got sick even but for just one week, what would he be at the end of this week? How ridiculous. And yet, are we not more of foolish people if we, who are infinitely dependent upon God in, in every way, yet reject him as a satisfier of our souls? And why do we reject him? Why? Because God is faithfully still providing all things that we need. And we take him for granted. That's crazy. Yet how many Christians, they reduce God to a level of financial planner and are quite content by giving him only 10% of their finance. Why? Because in reality they find their sufficiency not in Him, but in the 90% of the rest of what they possess. Yet other Christians only give God 15 minutes a day because they find their satisfaction in their entertainment, in Netflix, in Hollywood movies, and the affairs of this world. And we could see these brothers. We could see it because when we have the opportunity of our lifetime to be at home for, I don't know, two months now, and rather than getting to know God deeper and love Him more fervently and speak of Him to our family members more and more, rather than that, we hear people say, Oh, I'm bored or I feel lonely. As if God is not really self-sufficient. As if God does not offer that sufficiency to us. Brothers, do we really believe that God is sufficient for all things? And yet in all of this, because God alone is a self-sufficient, only He can say, open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Psalm 81.10. It is God and God alone that can say, I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely. Hosea 14.4. Psalm 107.8 and 9 says, Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. For he has satisfied the thirsty soul. And the hungry soul, what did he do? He has filled with what is good. Those who seek God with all their hearts, find him sufficient for every necessity of life. They don't need fluffy feelings. They have no need of dodgy idol with four wheels, no need of a love of a spouse, nor a respect of a teenager child. Why? Because El Shaddai alone offers to satisfy our deepest longing brothers. He promises to meet our strongest cravings with His endless ocean of grace. Simply put, we are in need of God and His utterly sufficient, to meet our needs. God, number one, you are not in need of us. Number two, we are in absolute need of you. Well, let's pause there for a moment and think, reflect. If that is true, then why did God create the world that he doesn't need? Is it to entertain himself because he's kind of bored, you know? Is God in self-isolation from eternity past and we just happen to be a glorified version of Netflix? Why did God create a world he doesn't need? I'll tell you why. When God wanted to create the world, this want arose from his sovereign good pleasure. And that is to put his unfathomable glory on display. The purpose of his good pleasure is simply this, to manifest his glory. That's why we're created, brothers and sisters. We are created So to display our sufficiency in our lives. Sorry, to display his sufficiency in our lives. That's why God created us. And that's the way we are to worship God. This is the way to serve God and to put him on display. To put God on display is to put his self-sufficiency on display. Acts 17, 24 and 27, it says, The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. What a humbling truth again this is. We must carefully pay attention to what this is saying. What this is saying is this, because God is self-sufficient. He is not to be served by us as though He's in need of anything. We're not to serve God in our traditional way as though we are serving man. We serve others because of their unfulfilled needs. But that's not the way we are to serve God. Why is it that we can't serve God the same way as we serve others? The continuation of this passage tells us, since He Himself gives to all people life, breath, and all things, The reason why we can't serve God the same way we serve other people to meet their unfulfilled needs is because it is God that gives all. God does not receive anything from anyone. He never does. He only gives. And He gives all things. Well, how should we serve Him then? Psalm 123 says this, the first two verses. To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Okay, now verse 2. Behold as the eyes of, here we go, servants look to the hand of the master as the eyes of a maid to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God until he is gracious to us. Please pay close attention to the cause and the effect to what is going on here. The servants, how are they serving their masters? By looking to the master's hands. What does that mean? The servants serve by receiving from the masters. That's what it means. The servants receive from the master. The maid receives from the hand of her mistress. Again, The $1 million question. How do you serve a self-sufficient God who doesn't need your service? How do you do that? Philippians 3, 7 and 8 gives us an answer to this question. Whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count him but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. How do I serve God who doesn't need my service? This is how I chase after Him. You press forward. You press on forward to receive satisfaction from Him. And as you're pursuing Him, What you're doing is that you're putting on display his self-sufficiency that is working in your life for all to see. You abandon the fleeting pleasures of this world, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, the lust of the flesh. You leave that to the children of darkness. But as for us, brothers, we who belong to the light, we, we crucify our flesh with all of its lustful desires. Why? Because we want to be drowned. We drown our hearts in God's all-sufficiency for us. And rather, what we do is that we go hard after the all-sufficient Christ. We wrestle with Him. The Scripture says the violent will take the kingdom of God by force, whether in your poverty or richness, in sickness or in health whether the closest people to you seek after the glory of God or not. Even when everyone around you settled for the two cents worth of dirt cheap pleasure and they mock you and ridicule you, you go and chase after El Shaddai. That's how you serve him. How? By placing your most intense craving at His feet. And you know what? We do that whether by praying or obeying. So what we're not saying don't obey Him because you're just too busy just reading the Word. No. In all things, you do all things out of need. And the need is simply this. You want God, the self-sufficient God in your life. And the cry of your heart all the time, God, you fill me with your fullness. And as he does that, as he generously satisfies your heart with his presence, with his strength and vitality, you're serving him by showing to the world that you are being a needy beggar, desperate for his glorious majesty. And that is our awesome God, that displays his self-sufficiency in your life, how generous he is, how much of an abundant life he gives by you chasing after him. So in summary, how do we serve a self-sufficient God who doesn't need our service? By receiving sufficiency from him and then putting that on display for the world to see. We think that when we perform some services to God, we are glorifying God, right? You know, we go ahead and read the Bible or we cut other people's lawns or uh, perhaps lend some, uh, someone, needy person, a hand. And we say, surely we are in a path of glorifying God. But brothers, sisters, think about it. How different would that be then from the Pharisees who crucified the Saviour who also the Scripture? How different would that be from a good next door atheist neighbor who's just living a decent life and helps other people around him? Are they glorifying God? God is glorified not so much when you work for him as though he needs you to work for him. No, God is glorified when He's the one that is working in and through you, putting on display to the world how satisfying He really is. It is to this end, brothers and sisters, that God even brings sufferings to His servants. Even as we minister to Him, He teaches us that the right kind of service that we serve out of need for Him, He brings harsh trials. So in a school of sufferings, he teaches his people, his servants, that in our lives it is God and God alone that we ultimately need. And so as we serve him, by obeying him in this way, in understanding that we're obeying out of need for God, we're putting on display that our sufficiency is not in our Ministry. It is not found in our service or objects that we possess. No, but our sufficiency is in God who meets all our needs. Think about it, brothers, as we come to the end of this message. This is how God taught Paul, the apostle, to be content in him. Paul had a thorn in the flesh. And what is a thorn in the flesh? It speaks of severe, painful circumstances, some terrible trial in his life. There's no time to go deeper into this, but in verse 8 of 2 Corinthians um, 12, it says concerning this, Paul is speaking here, and he says concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. Paul wanted God to take away that thorn. But look at verse 9. Look what it says in verse 9. In verse 9 it says, He said to me, that's Jesus speaking to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. What God is saying to Paul here, Paul, you need this. Paul, as I give you a thorn, it is so that to expose that there is pride in you. In your suffering, you will learn to submit to my will. And in your suffering, and as I wrestle you to the ground, and it will feel like I'm breaking you. And when you yield to me, when you trust me that this is for your greatest good, you will be putting to death your pride. Paul, only then will you know that the self-sufficient El Shaddai is all you need. And when you carry this attitude with you in your ministry, only then will I be glorified. Brothers, sisters, what God did to the Apostle Paul, he does to all his servants. He brings trials to his ministers. So in the wilderness of sufferings, God teaches his people that God, Is a five-star oasis in the middle of this wilderness. And that's how God is glorified. So what's the prayer? The prayer goes like this. God, you are not in need of us. We are in absolute need of you so to display your sufficiency in our lives. So, how do we apply this in our lives? Well, I've got a few things that we can ponder upon and think about and how we apply this in our lives. When we suffer for doing right, let us endure it. When we are being obedient, let's obey from the heart. When we give, let us give cheerfully. When we're persecuted, Let us rejoice and be glad. And when we speak the truth, let us speak in love. It's not about suffering. It's not about obedience. It is not just about giving or being persecuted. It is not just about speaking the truth, but it's about endurance. It's got to be from the heart. It's got to be cheerful. We're going to rejoice and be glad. And we've got to speak the truth in love. Why? How come? Because when people around you look at you and see in your life how, for example, you're being persecuted and yet you're rejoicing or when you're obeying and they see that it's born out of a delight in your heart, then they would ask you, how come? How is it that you're enduring your suffering? How is it that you give cheerfully? You say, because my self-sufficient God is enough for me. Yes, brothers. Yes, sisters. God is sufficient for you and I. God has sufficient power to protect you. And if you sin, He has sufficient mercy to forgive you and sufficient righteousness to clothe you. And if you're weak, God has sufficient strength to empower you. And if you are down, his sufficient love will be in you and with you. And his sufficient grace will enrich you and lift you. And when you die, and you meet him and delight yourself in him, His sufficient inheritance and the joy that you will receive from him will be the crown that that you will take pride in for all eternity to come. Let's pray. Lord God, we praise you for this wonderful attribute. You are a self-sufficient God. It doesn't just mean that you don't need us but it means that you are the fountain of all sufficiency. We are the ones who are in absolute need of you. And we pray, Lord, that you help us to enjoy this wonderful attribute in the midst of suffering, in the midst of persecution, in our faithful obedience to your word. Help us, Lord, to enjoy the fact that you are all we need.